Happy Tuesday morning, everybody. It's a little bit warmer this week than it was this time a week ago. It's it's going up into the 70s here in Alabama, starting to feel like spring. Uh, dare we hope that that uh, we're finally coming out of the winter here. I am uh, I am joined by a couple of guys who, frankly, we're we're all looking forward to a busier spring. We're all looking forward to a time where we've got lots of stuff to cover and talk about. It's it's been a little bit of a slow week news-wise, but that gives us a chance to kind of step back and take a look at some of the bigger stories around the SEC. And I'm joined, as always, by Matt Zenitz on my right here, John Talty on the bottom of your screen here, two of the best reporters covering the SEC today, two of the best sourced, uh, the best writers, the best. They're, they're pretty good guys too. They're d- despite despite their their occasionally iffy tastes in movies. Uh, they're they're overall good guys, but guys, the, the, there's uh, a go. What would you say, Matt? I said I appreciate that. I didn't yeah. know you that way. I mean, I know you John, know. so I I, I I don't mind my Tuesday mornings uh, hanging out with these two gentlemen. But but there's there's a couple of additions as as I add two great members to the show here this morning. There's a couple of additions that the Auburn Tigers have made to their roster uh, that they're hoping will be similarly uh, promising for them and for their future as a program. We, we, uh, we, we talked about Auburn's recruiting class and kind of the, the you know, disappointment uh, that some of the fans felt around it, the, the, the lower than expected finish that they had, uh, at least for that program standards. But they've added a couple of pretty impressive names uh, since we last talked about Auburn's class. One of those guys being Dreshawn Miller, uh, from West Virginia, a transfer, and, and another guy uh, who had originally signed with Tennessee but was released from his uh, letter of intent, Dylan Brooks, who who uh, was one of the higher-rated pro- prospects in the state of Alabama and has now signed with Auburn, uh, immediately making him the highest-rated prospect in Auburn's recruiting class. So just, just taking a look at those two additions, you know, and, and obviously – they are guys coming out of high school. There's only so much you can know about them. But John, what is what do these late additions kind of do to our overall feelings about this Auburn signing class and and, and the year that that Auburn is heading towards under their their brand new head coach? Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about it before we started the show, and I had to kind of double check just to make sure the math was right. But I mean, they jumped ten spots in the recruiting rankings because of adding, you know, Dylan Brooks, which shows to you just the caliber of player he is. I think the fact that there was a bit of a prolonged battle for him to get his release, and the fact you know that Tennessee specifically basically said they didn't want him going to an ACC school, I think shows how much Tennessee a didn't want to lose him, and certainly didn't want to lose him to another school in the SEC. So I think it's a notable addition, you know, for. Auburn, you know, it kind of worked out well for them that Tennessee made a uh, a coaching change after the early signing period, and, and Dylan Brooks, you know, wants to to wanted to get out of that and ultimately go to Auburn. So I think it helps, you know, shore up what was I think in some ways a disappointing initial recruiting class for Brian Harson. Everybody knows the first recruiting class is not going to be great because of how late you get in, and that's exactly how it played out. So adding somebody like Brooks, I think, is a good step, and I think hopefully, you know, can maybe get them some momentum going forward. Uh, and, you know, they're going to have to sign more kids like Brooks. This can't be a kind of a, an exception. This has to basically be the rule of the type of caliber player that they're going to recruit if they want to compete at the highest levels of the SEC. So, so Matt, you know, we, we 
didn't really dig that much into the Auburn recruiting class. We, we've talked about it on some other shows uh, that, that our AL.com crew has done. But just from, from your research and, and from what you've been able to glean about this, this 2021 signing class for Auburn, you know, Dylan Brooks is a big name. They didn't have a lot of big names. Are there any names on that list that the Auburn coaching staff feels particularly good about or that you think could, could sort of surprise us and maybe make a, an early impact? I mean, he's not necessarily a member of the, the signing class, but I would say Drayshon Miller, the, the corner who you just talked about, who's transferring in from West Virginia, somebody who's a, in position now to, to make an immediate impact. So you look at West Virginia, they were the number one ranked pass defense in the country. He was a starting cornerback for that West Virginia defense. So he's somebody definitely to keep an eye on, even if he doesn't necessarily fall in the category of being a member of the signing class. But, but I think, especially when you factor in some of the – the players that Auburn lost from last year's team, that there are going to be a lot of guys, whether it's newcomers or players that didn't start last year that are going to be stepping into bigger roles that, that are going to be very much factors this year. And um, I obviously throw out a, a few names as far as guys who are currently on the roster who I kind of have my eye on as potential candidates to take a step forward and play bigger roles. So I'll go offense, defense, special teams. Offensively, we, we saw – one of the members of last year's receiver class start to take a step forward in the, the bowl game in Elijah Cannon. So I think it only played one game, played in one game last year prior to the bowl game and then broke out some during the course of that last game of the season where he had three catches, his first career touchdown. He's definitely a candidate take a step forward this year, especially when you look at the fact that Auburn lost to its top three receivers from last year's team. To go along with that, defensively, Ladarius Tennyson, you saw some of him at the end of the year, especially when Christian Tutt was banged up. There's some optimism about him moving forward and his capability to, to break out some going into the season. And then one more name that, that I'll throw out as far as one that, that there's at least a little buzz about and people are uh, optimistic about his upside for moving forward is Zion Puckett. So Zion was a four-star recruit, and I'm not necessarily ready to say that I'm expecting him to break out in terms of defense next year, but he's somebody to keep an eye on as far as special teams and a, a guy who could potentially carve out a role there going into next season. Yeah, and it's it's going to be, I mean, as we've often seen with coaching changes uh, around the SEC, there there can be some unexpected results on the field with guys that are already on the roster, as you mentioned, Matt, because just running a different system sometimes is going to benefit certain guys. Um, I, I am I am curious, though, like overall, when we look at this Auburn team, I mean, there, there's going to be some leeway that he's given in year one. But when you look at this roster, John, how, how do you feel – Brian Harson is is positioned for this first year. If, if you're look, it's a big opportunity. Everybody understands why the guy would take this job uh, to come from Boise State to Auburn. But just in terms of immediate success, is this a team that you feel like has components that you feel pretty good about in terms of being able to to do that that very difficult thing of having success in year one? I mean, you have to inherit some good luck. You have to inherit a roster that was sort of in just the right place. Uh, to, to be able to, to have that instant success. Yeah, I do think he inherited some good pieces. I mean, I think the thing that we're going to be saying, you know, 
from now until next December, probably all the time. And so this is not gonna be that original of a thought, but I think it's crucial is first success in many ways could depend on Bo Nix's development. It's something that Gus Malzahn was very bullish about. And I think ultimately led to, in some ways his downfall that Bo did not develop the way he basically indicated he expected him to in year two. You know, Bo had some, some nice moments. He had some not so nice moments. There's been some very well documented well-documented struggles on the road, uh, which as everybody knows is critical on the SEC. And I think next year, especially if we see more, you know, full crowds, how does Bo handle, you know, go into some of these difficult places? I think that's an important piece. So I think, you know, if we see Brian Marson win eight, nine games or something like that, or if it's more like six, five, six, I think Bo is a big factor in that because I think the, there are enough, important pieces to Bo that indicate that he could be very successful, but there are enough concerns around Bo that can lead you to believe that he's maybe never going to develop into the guy that people expected when he came into Auburn as, you know, a five-star quarterback and very highly regarded and a state champion and someone who set all these records, blah, 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 blah. So I think that's, you know, a very basic way of looking at things, but I can guarantee you that's going to be probably one of the biggest talking points heading into Auburn season and throughout the season, just what Bo is able to do. No doubt. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, one of the biggest question marks and concerns with the, this team is exactly that, the, the passing game led by Bo Nix. But just looking at the, the state of the roster, this is a team that, that can be very competitive in the SEC because of what they have defensively and what they have in the backfield, a guy that we've talked a lot about in Tank Bigsby. But just to, to piggyback on what we were talking about in terms of the most recent addition in Drayshon Miller, it adds to what was already a very good secondary for this team. And you can make a legitimate argument just looking at it on paper right now that this has a chance to be one of the better secondaries in the SEC, combining that with the fact that not only do you have some, some young, promising players like Ladarius Tennyson, but you have two, two players – and Roger McCreary smoke Monday, who there was some thought that they could leave for the NFL draft. And essentially you do a good job as a staff recruiting them to, to stay. And it, especially when you look at Roger, that's a, a corner who had a chance to be a day two draft pick that now you get back on your team. And just overall defensively, you, know, you look at, it's a gummy McLean was another one. It was one of the leading tacklers, if not the leading tackler in the SEC last year, another guy who had a chance to go pro that comes back to, to school. You, you have, the, the piece is there to be very good defensively. And then again, from an offensive standpoint, even though the, the passing game is definitely a question mark right now, you have one of the more talented young running backs in the country that, that you can lean on. I, I would expect them just based on what they have on paper at this point to be a competitive team going into next year. Well, Matt, you talk about a couple of guys that, that could have left early for the draft. Uh, let's, let's get into some, some names from around the sec that, that are, uh, entering the draft this year that are draft eligible and and you know I, I think this is this is a very strange our, our strange year continues our year of of trying to figure out how this is all going to work uh despite these unprecedented conditions continues we've heard a lot of talk about how how different the draft evaluation process is this year not just because there's no combine this year but because in a lot of cases um, there's less film than people are used to. Um, the, the, the whole decision-making process about who you draft is going to be different this year. Um, so I, I want to get into to some of these guys coming out of the SEC and, and what kind of careers we think 
they're going to have. And and I'll start off with with you, John. I mean, there's a bunch of obvious names. I mean, the first round is going to be loaded with SEC names most likely this year. Uh, quite a few of those from Alabama, but but Florida's going to have multiple guys most likely as well. Um, out of that group uh, that, that are sort of surefire early round picks, are there any that stick out to you as, as having a particularly strong chance at success at the NFL level? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think the guy who's the safest pick uh, probably from the SEC is Patrick Sertan. You know, he's someone who can probably go, I don't know, Zenos are probably no better than I do. I feel like maybe at the very high end, probably top five, more likely, you know, top 10, probably no later than top 15. You know, everybody, I think everybody knows his dad had a very successful uh, college and NFL career. I think just in terms of what you're looking for, I mean, he's like the ideal prototype, I think, of what the modern uh, cornerback is at this point. I think he's going to be very steady. I and mean, to me, he just seems like a guy who is going to play, you know, at least 10 years in the NFL. Um, another one, you know, not quite at that level. You'd probably be able to get him a little bit later, uh, I think, in the first round. But J.C. Horn, uh, who also has you know very good pedigree, being the son of Joe Horn, uh, he's another one who I think will probably have a long NFL career. Uh, two guys that I think you know you can feel good about, and I think there's, and we'll get into this, I think, in the lead up to the NFL draft. There's a lot of great players, a lot of great players with Alabama ties, but. I think that Sertan overall is probably the safest of those picks. And I think in a year in which there's no combine, uh, you know, why these guys either didn't play in the senior bowl or there wasn't as much uh, senior bowl, you know, I think interactions, you are not having uh, as many private pro days. You're having the team ones guys as of right now are not going to be able to make, you know, all these different kind of trips where they can do private workouts for teams. So I think having safe picks will be more valued this year than ever. And that's why I really like Sertan. Yeah, I think also, you know, I mean, these, not not to be totally dismissive of the process, but NFL front office guys do very much pride themselves on what evaluating things in person with their own eyeballs instead of looking at film. Uh, so a lot of that's taken away too. But that well, said, let me yeah, tell you this. I mean, I think not to relate this all back to Nick Saban, but think about how Saban does things. Yeah. They watch film, but either, you know, they haven't been able to do it during the pandemic, but they always want to get guys on campus. And uh, you know, talking to people who have known Saban over the years, his one of the things he says is that you can watch film and know within 30 minutes whether a guy's good enough to play. And all the other time is determining whether he has the right mindset and mentality to play. And so I think that's not to, you know, knock on your point here, but I think that's oh, why that's a good point. Love getting face-to-face time is really kind of grilling them and getting the sense from the mental yep. side of things. <clears throat> you don't, you don't want to be takes. And a perfect example is, uh, was it the Tennessee Titans offensive lineman, Isaiah Wilson, did they spend a first round draft pick on and clearly just as of right now, doesn't have either the work ethic or the mindset to want to compete. And that's as of right now, it's like a blown pick and on tape, he looked like a very good player. For sure. You, you, you don't want to be finding yourself, releasing a guy that you that you blew a first round pick on in a few years so Matt out of John talked about some of the high round guys are there any are there any sort of deeper cuts uh in this SEC draft class that you feel particularly good about in terms of having a long NFL career ahead of them 
Well, first of all, I'm surprised that, that John didn't give love to, to our guy, Kyle Pitts. So I, I'm going to give you a story that, that you'll like, Scalise. So with Kyle Pitts, so not only is Kyle Pitts a, a tremendous player, obviously did some great things last year in Florida, but but the, the funniest story that, that I have on, on Kyle Pitts, so this comes from his old tight ends coach at, at Florida, Larry Scott, who's now the head coach at Howard. Kyle Pitts is essentially a, a Spider-Man-like figure, a real-life Spider-Man-like figure. So if you look at him, he, he I, I hate to say has kind of like the nerdy look, but he's a, a guy who wears glasses, wouldn't necessarily, like you wouldn't necessarily think outside of him being 6'6", that this is some freakish top 10 draft pick just looking at him. But when he first got to Florida, was having problems with like his eyesight and something that they became aware of early on and just looking at him once again, he's got walks around with glasses you wouldn't necessarily think is a star athlete. But he was at some freshman party, I want to say at, Larry Scott's house and got bit by some kind of bug. I don't know if it was a spider, something else, but was freaking out about this it. Feels, this about feels it. like it's a rumor that 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 yeah, this is a real story. I, I'm being 100% serious. Got got bit by some kind of bug. I, I don't know if they even knew what kind of bug it was. Freaked out. Eventually got over it. Things progressively became less of an issue from an eyesight perspective, and also all of a sudden he becomes just this freakish, superhuman-like figure for Florida. So I also would just like to say, I just want to make one point here. I love that Matt is like like an '80s meathead. That anybody he sees wearing glasses, automatically a nerd. That's he just like a nerd. Kind of nerd. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not exactly comparing him. He to got like Kyle Pitts or somebody like that. But. Kyle Pitts got bit by a a motorcycle bug, and he now has the powers of a of a motorcycle in the body of a human. So the question was in terms of non-first-round guys, yeah. who are some that would bet on? So, so I'll throw out a couple. So one, speaking of guys that, that catch the football, Elijah Moore I, I think has a lot of potential at the next level. Elijah, receiver from Ole Miss, who obviously there, there were some receivers, including Devontae Smith, that put up big-time numbers this year. But there was nobody on a national level that if you look at the averages on a weekly basis put up bigger numbers in terms of catches per game and receiving yards per game than Elijah Moore, ranked number one nationally in terms of both categories, averaged 10 catches per game and close to 150 receiving yards per game. Dynamic player that has a chance to go at some point in the first three rounds of the draft. Another receiver to go along with that, Terrace Marshall from LSU, I think has a lot of potential. If you combine the the last three games of last year with the first four games of this year before LSU started having quarterback issues, he had 14 receiving touchdowns in those seven combined games dating back to the end of last year. That's pretty impressive. And, and then one guy from a defensive standpoint who is under the radar, and I don't know if I would necessarily bet on him to be like a perennial pro bowler or anything like that, but somebody who I, I think is a better pro prospect than maybe the general public knows is linebacker from Kentucky, Jamin Davis. So ranked third in the SEC in tackles despite missing at least the Alabama game. I, I can't remember if he missed more than that but missed at least one game, still ranked third in the conference in tackles, and then tied for first among non-DBs in interceptions also with three. And then just to add one more to that, so I, I know probably most people weren't paying a ton of attention to Vanderbilt this year, and obviously far from the, the best season for Vanderbilt as a program, but you have a defensive end from this year's Vanderbilt team who I know NFL people feel like has – a lot of potential for that level in Deo, Deo Odengbo, who 
I, I think, finished with five and a half sacks this year. He was the best player on a bad team, but somebody who people at the next level feel like has a, a chance to be a, a player at the NFL level and actually closed the year, even though it was in a 41 to nothing loss for Vanderbilt, uh, finished the year with a, a standout performance where he had a couple sacks against a, a Missouri team that obviously did some good things this year. Well, an interesting group. And, you know, I, I do think it, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting milestone to look forward to this draft. Last year, the draft was, felt like it was the first sort of sports thing that happened that we could all watch and, and enjoy after everything totally shut down. And obviously, it was a very different experience than what we're used to in the draft. Hopefully, you know, as we get closer to it, we'll see more. But hopefully, it will feel a little bit more like a, a traditional draft experience this year. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. It'll, it, will, it will still be a little bit different. But that, that was sort of, for me, in 2020, one of, one of the rare early sports bright spots was the draft last year. And I, I do think they ended up doing some things well with how they handled that draft that I'd kind of like to see them do going forward. I don't know. Did, how, how, did, how did you guys end up feeling about how it was handled a year ago? Well, the thing I'm most curious about, hey, how much more of a fan of Kyle Pitts are you now, Scalise, just knowing the background of that story? I, I'm telling you, with the eyesight stuff, it was leading to him. It's pretty amazing. And- you know what I heard about one of the other guys that Zenon's talked about? I heard that Elijah Moore got bit by a dog, and that's how he got his superpower. Oh. Mm. He got, he got, yeah, he, uh, he, so, someone, someone held up a play card with a picture of a fire hydrant on it <clears throat> at the egg bowl. And he couldn't help himself. He's come a long way from that though. He has for sure. That, that, unfortunately that clip is probably going to be shown, uh, many, many times for the rest of his career, but he's put a lot of other clips up in the meantime, uh, against yeah. some really good teams. Where do you think he's projected to go? To me, he's a guy that you'd love to get. Like, if you get him in the third or fourth round, you'd be happy about it. Yeah. I, I think he probably goes at some point in the second or third round, if I had to guess. But, but that's just kind of a, mm. a, a guess right now based on some of the early feedback of, that, that I've gotten. I, I would say the safe bet for him in terms of over-under would be third round. And one one name I want to ask you guys about before we wrap up today, because uh, there's been some discussion about it in the past couple of weeks. I mean, you see Matt Jones mentioned kind of in wildly varying spots when people talk about the draft in terms of, in terms of his future career, is there a spot that you, that either of you kind of see for him right now? Because look, he obviously, there are, there are strengths he has to his game. There are also weaknesses. Is there a spot that you feel like would set him up for success particularly well in terms of landing with a particular team or two? Patriots or Saints? Who'd you say? Patriots or Saints. So I was going to say exactly that. I think those are the two that make the most sense. And I I heard uh, Mina Kimes at ESPN was talking about the Saints. I think the Saints makes a lot of sense. Sean Payton's done a great job. You know, maybe they keep Jameis for a year and they let him train. But I think, you know, he's – I think Mac is one of those guys that where he lands with will be so critical – to his level of success going forward. I think you could drop Trevor Lawrence on pretty much any team and he's going to be pretty successful. I think Mac, the fit matters a lot more specifically, you know, the style play and all those kind of things. But I think I totally agree with Zenitz. I think those are the two picks that come most to mind for me. I, I just don't know if he makes it to them. There's obviously talk at this point, early talk that he could be gone before either of those teams pick. So, like, uh, you know, I mean, there's always the chance one of those guys trades up. Uh, if it's particularly, New England, just because 
I mean, although we, I don't, I think they're usually averse to doing that, but they're, uh, you know, they seem like they're in need of a quarterback currently. So who knows? Who knows how that'll work out for Mac? I think somebody's going to fall in love with Mac. Honestly, I think he's a great competitor. He's a great kid. I think you know Saban. I think will give him a very strong endorsement, which is I think probably why some people have tied him to the Patriots because of you know his relationship with Belichick. But I, I think that some team, probably in the top fifteen or so, is going to really fall in love once they get the chance to really work with him and and you know whether that's trading up or what, but make a move to get him. All right. Well, we will uh, we will keep you guys updated on. All the uh, uh, all the developments regarding the NFL draft and and how it impacts players from the SEC. We'll also keep you guys posted uh, on any other breaking news that happens <clears throat> here on uh, on First Down South next week. Uh, I will be out next week, but these two gentlemen will will be back for another episode. And uh, thanks everybody for joining us. You can find more of the excellent work from Matt Zenitz and John Talty over at AL.com.